Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who consider themselves new to us. Glad to have you today, and thank you for making us your church home for an hour. Uh, there were a couple of things that happened in our worship and in what Stephen began to articulate through the offertory message. Uh, we are a church that believes in the supernatural, meaning that we are trusting God to intervene in impossible circumstances and that his presence and his power would be, would be felt and seen in ways beyond just word or singing. And so <clears throat> one of our ministers of music, our worship and song pastor, Tiffany, believed that there was somebody who was going to be healed today. Well, it's because she heard from God uh, on behalf of that person. And what we call that in 1 Corinthians 12 is a word of knowledge. It's the ability to hear from God about something that is unknown naturally and be able to minister that to somebody else. And what Stephen felt also was that the Lord was going to be doing something in somebody's life financially. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's a blanket statement for everybody, but it does mean that God is particular in his care for us and that he does speak today and does desire to minister in more than just the normal preaching and the normal worship and song. And so we are practicing that on a regular basis because our God loves people. He loves people. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue in our series on faith, faith to move forward. And we're going to, going to continue on the topic of Abraham and, and as he moves through the promised land. The title of the message is a continuation from last week's Abraham's Journey. Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. It says, by faith... He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10, for he, meaning Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Lord, help us as we study. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to concentrate. One, he lived as an alien. Two, he lodged. And three, he was looking for something. As Abraham moved from Haran, originally Ur the Chaldees, and then northwest to Haran, from your perspective as I diagram with my hands, and then down south to Israel, he was in the process of obeying God as God told him, go to the land I will show you. And he had some expectations as he was entering into this land. And we don't see what those expectations are as we read through the book of Genesis, but we do see, in retrospect, other uh, commentators and narratives that talk about what he was looking for and how he was postured as he entered into the land. This is one of the passages that helps us understand something about what was going through his brain as he was walking. There was no welcome party when he entered into the promised land. There wasn't anybody who's saying... <laughs> We've been holding this spot for you? I mean, it, it's, it's, been, it's been like my, my parents held it and their parents. Held, and we have, we've heard for generations that you were supposed to come. And you finally came. Welcome. This is your home. Nothing like that. When he walked into the promised land, he was pretty much an alien. He was a guy who was promised this land, but he had to live as a foreigner. And that is so like us. 
We live in this world as people who are foreign to its culture, foreign to its ways. Now, some of you are much more acclimated than you should be. But we aren't supposed to identify with anything that this world does. We're supposed to be a different people. We're supposed to be separate from the world system. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, come out from the world and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. And I, God says, will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. He's not saying leave everybody you know and leave the entire world and go live in a cave. He is saying don't be a part of the world system as you are in the world. Don't agree with how they do what they do. Don't try to be so relevant, so acclimated and, and, and normal that you lose all your Christianity in the process. Now, I don't want to be weird. I really don't. I try not to be weird. I try to use language that people can understand and, and verbiage that isn't Christian ease so that folks don't stumble over my religion, but they can actually find God through me, and they can hear a God who makes sense. That's all I'm trying to do every day, just make sense out of the reality I know to be true without using necessarily chapter and verse in order to convey my points, but understanding the scriptural principles behind the chapter and verse to the unbelieving world so that they can understand the God I know because they don't know chapter and verse. But I'm using the word of God as the basis upon which I make all of my assertions. I try to make sense. Relevancy is really important to me. I love apologetics. Apologetics is the art and science of trying to defend the faith that we hold dear. It doesn't mean I'm apologizing for anything. It means I'm defending something. And when I talk about what the world is and, and how it was created and, and the processes through which we now know reality of terra firma and the earth and the heavens and all, all of that, it, it, I'm a, I'm, 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 I love science and I was a biology major. I try to make sense in a way that scientists who don't even believe that my Bible is true or God exists, they have a hard time refuting my explanation of what science means. They have a hard time refuting it not because they agree with me, well, because I went through a right process that makes sense. I believe in being relevant. But my relevancy does not bleed into the realm whereby they can't tell the difference between me and them. I'm not a chameleon. A chameleon, you, you forgot your zoology. A chameleon is a little lizard that has this ability to blend into its culture and society, its surroundings so well that you can't tell the difference between it and what it's in. Be careful in your relevancy that you don't become like everything that's around you. You got to live as an alien. Abraham lived as an alien, a foreigner, in this world but not of this world trying to figure out how do I deal with the tension of knowing that God has said this is mine, but nobody's giving it to me. Everybody thinks it's theirs. They've got here first. I'm last. I just arrived, but God said this is mine and my kids and all their kids. But I can't go take it. In fact, I've got to pay rent. 
for what God told me is mine. I'm sitting here realizing this is my land of promise, but I can't act like it every day. I've got to live in a different realm all the time, asking for permission to use that which God gave me. Strange dichotomy. He was never real confident in his next step. It was always, uh, let me taste, let me, let, me, let me feel what the water's like. Let me taste this to make sure before I imbibe fully. He was always just a little circumspect. And the people who did not offer him a welcome mat, well, you can almost understand. I mean, you would have to hear from God to realize how important Abraham was to the, to the entire promised land's productivity and well-being. Abraham was, was not just, it wasn't just him and his wife Sarah, before then Sarai, and then his nephew Lot, his charge when his brother, meaning Abram's brother, died, Haran, he had to take nephew as his own. It wasn't just those three, although those are the three who were mentioned for the most part. In Genesis 14, when he had to go and rescue Lot, he had to use the men in his household as warriors. He had to conscript them. And it says that there were 318 men trained in his household. So when you've got 318 men, generally those... Let's just say that Abraham had a little bit larger than a small business. They were his employees. Shepherds, cooks, tailors, cowboys, herdsmen. That's what they did regularly. And then you had to have all the animals to provide for all those people. So there may have been three, 4,000 sheep, 1,000 donkeys, a bunch of head of cattle, some camel. And then those men were probably married. So that's... 636 people. And then they had kids. So two to four, that's the American way back then. They just kept having babies. <laughs> Minimally, three to 5,000 people, along with all the animals to support them, traveling through the promised land looking for home. They were an intimidating force to any kingdom. Every time somebody saw them coming, they who are they and why are they here? They're going to eat our sheep's grass. They're going to drink our cattle's water. How do we manage this? They, Abraham was an intimidating force. And if, if, if it wasn't just the fact that there were a bunch of people and stuff with them, it was the presence of God that everybody felt they didn't know how to communicate it. But it was this, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Now, you know you are something. Famine in the promised land, Abraham doesn't know what to do. He goes down to Egypt. Now, when Abraham goes down to Egypt, the Egyptians were at the height of their civilization. They had just built the pyramids. This was, this was the finest, most organized civilization we know in the Middle East at the time. Wealthy, powerful. And when they come, meaning Abram and his family come, the first thing Abram realizes he needs to do needs to do is establish a treaty with him and, and the, the Egyptians realize they need to establish a treaty with him and so he gives his wife in marriage to Pharaoh and Sarah was something 
Now, I, what I said there seems really strange. He gives his wife in marriage to Pharaoh. I, I know, I know. But, but please don't judge Abraham on our generation's morality. When you are a traveling group of people, and this is an agreement now, we'll find later, that he had to make with his wife. When you're a traveling group of people and you want to establish treaties with other nations, the way you would do it back then is you would give generally your son or daughter to their son or daughter as a hand in marriage. So this king, that king, let's let our kids marry one another because we don't ever want to go to war against our grandkids, ever. And so a treaty would be established. Well, what if you're a man who's traveling through the promised land, you want to make a treaty, but you don't have any kids? Money wasn't enough. You had to have blood in the, in the game. So he established a moment with his bride and said, listen, I know this is hard. God's told us to go. I don't know, I don't know any other way to do this. You've got to say you're my sister. Now, he wasn't lying. She was the daughter of his father, but not his mother. So he was telling the truth. <laughs> you got to say you're my sister because if you don't, and, and listen now, if you don't, they're going to kill me and by association, everybody else. So we're the ones who are making all these people go with us. And I can't have them pay for our decisions. So you're going to have to say you're my sister and we're going to have to believe God through the middle of it. I don't even know what it looks like, but just trust me in this, Sarah. Now, could there have been a better way? I guess so. But they couldn't figure it out. And the amazing thing, Abraham gets all the credit for being a man of faith. I am blown away with Sarah. Blown away. What a woman. Because she says, okay. <laughs> and she, at this point, when they go down to Egypt, she's somewhere in the neighborhood of 70. Who wants grandma to be their wife? <laughs> I'm just saying, what a woman. What a woman. At 70, she had it going on. <laughs> so much so that the king of the nation said, I want her as my wife. And bypassed all the other women in Egypt. Wow. And God protected this woman because she was a woman of faith, whereby the king never did what kings would normally do with their wives. And when he found out that she was actually Abraham's wife and not just his sister, he was horrified because he realized God was with this man and God was with that woman. And they were so... Now, remember, Egypt, at the height of their civilization, pyramids just built, everybody revered them. In order for their land to be blessed, this Pharaoh gave Abraham so much wealth that the Bible says this, he came into Egypt wealthy, but he came out of Egypt very wealthy. Now, I don't know what the difference is, but it's huge. I can't put a monetary script on that. I can't put, now, I don't know how many zeros you go, 
But to go from wealthy to very wealthy, I think most people would say wealthy is a million. Very wealthy, Bill Gates. <laughs> That's how much Egypt thought of Abraham. He had the fear of God on him for everybody else around the land. What a man. Why? Because he lived as an alien. This was it. God knew. I'm giving you this land, but you've got to live in such a way that you're, you don't think it's really yours. You live in a land of promise. Promise. And every one of us needs to live in a mindset of promise. Because we are, we are rarely going to experience any fulfillment of kingdom that looks like the world has made me happy. Meaning I can't take a whole lot of security and sustenance from this planet to make my soul feel like it's worth being here and I am fulfilled. I look at everything through the lens of how I am being pleasing to my God and my entire reality is filtered through kingdom stuff, not world stuff. And so when I think about living in this world, I'm thinking about I'm using all that the world has only for kingdom purposes, not for mine. I'm not taking my fulfillment from the world's stuff. I'm not taking my, my, my sense of completion or accomplishment from the world's accolades. It means very little to me. It helps me in understanding how I need to adjust myself so that I can better serve, but it does not stroke the soul down in my soul that makes the song that Brett dances to. God allows me the privilege of forsaking that which I can feel with my hands and see with my eyes for something that's more real. There is a kingdom reality beyond that which brings you any happiness on the planet. And every bit of your life needs to be wrapped up in that which you do not see. You've got to know that your God is pleased with you on the regular, even when people may not be. You've got to believe that the promises of God are, are for you, even when it doesn't look like they are working. Doesn't look like they're coming to pass. You can't tell anything in the natural about whether the things that God has for you are true. And you need to start probably in your own house. You want to live in a land of promise? Begin to believe God for the things in your own house that you have not yet seen. Live in a land of promise every day. You live in a, a land of promise where your children respect you. You're thinking, when I, you believe. You believe that, that, that the promises you know to be true about your children are going to be fulfilled, even when you don't see it then. It feels like, it feels a little alien to you because you think in the natural you ought to experience that which you know to be true in the spirit. That there ought to be, I love you, mother. Dad, I respect you so much. You're, I value your opinion. Please help me with this life decision. That's the way it ought to be, shouldn't it? I seek your counsel. Pray with me about this, please. 
Can we have a moment just to hold hands and, and agree together that, Lord, you're going to come through for us? I know your faith is there to help mine. I trust you, my father. <laughs> Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? What happens is this. Hey, son, we need to pray. I'll see you at 6 a.m. You're there at 7. They still haven't woken up. You live in a land of promise, but you feel like an alien. And listen, I have a fabulous family. <laughs> I'm so grateful to God. It is a great group of people. We have a blast every day, and we love God together, and it's beautiful. But nobody in my house calls me pastor. I'm just a dude. <laughs> I'm just a guy that pays the bills. That's all I have. <laughs> they respect me deeply. But there are things for which I need to believe in my family that I haven't seen yet. And I know I live in this promised realm up here that seems like fantasy to some, but I live in it in my brain, in my heart. And I feel sometimes like an alien in my own family, in my own church sometimes, thinking we're supposed to be this, but we're not. I can't figure out how to get there. Lord, help me. And I can't manipulate the circumstances of the people to make it happen. But anybody who's a visionary that begins to think like Abraham thought about living in a land of promise always has to deal with the dichotomy of living in the reality that you don't see what you need to see. How do you respond then? How are you supposed to be? You don't get frustrated because you always got to look in the mirror and God thinks the same way about you <laughs> that you think about everybody else. You'd be surprised what they think about you. That they're waiting for the promise they're hoping you would be. <laughs> We're all there. Believing for something greater and living in the environment where we have to sometimes settle. It's alien to us when you think about the land of promise. But that's what we're called to do. And as we believe, as we believe, we stand in faith, and what happens is our own personal lives begin to change to such a degree that that which we believe becomes that which we do. And even though the circumstances may not have changed, we do. And when we change, it's amazing how the environment changes. Abraham lived his name. This is what it means to live by faith. To live by faith. Secondly, it says he lodged. Lived as an alien. He lodged with, with Isaac and Jacob in tents. Now, I imagine he could have built a city. But, but the, the next point helps us understand why he did not. Everybody else, for the most part, lived in the cities. You had Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a city. You had other places, cities. There were dwellings with walled cities around during that time. But Abraham chose not to build one. Why? Later on it says he was looking for something. But in the midst of looking for something, he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Now Isaac was his son. Jacob was his grandson. Jacob was a grandson that he never saw because Abraham died before Jacob was born. So how in the world was he living in tents with Jacob? Isaac, yes. Jacob, really? 
writer of Hebrews, did you have it right? But the mindset of the Hebrew was always thinking not only second generation, but beyond. What you do today has a direct impact on your grandkids. And you don't even have any yet. You're living with them in some way. You're, you're living with them in disobedience. You're living with them in bitterness. You're living with them in, in envy. You're living with them some way. And if you don't repent of that which is improper in your life, they'll have it at some level. They'll be dealing with it. Oh, I'm not, I'm not making, I'm not trying to just postulate here. Our world tells us that if you are the, the, the progeny of an alcoholic, you are more prone to being somebody who is addicted to substance. We get all of our flaws honestly. Eh, we get most of our flaws honestly. Some of y'all make them up. Some of y'all are really good at that. But most of our flaws are the platform upon which all of our disobedience happens. And those flaws are those which we inherit. The older I get, the more I realize I am the eldest son of Joseph and Viola Ruth Fuller. I act like my daddy. I talk like my daddy. I walk like my daddy. I, sp I yell like my mama. <laughs> I've never heard my dad get loud. Never heard him. In the 40 some odd years that I was able to live with it, never heard him once get loud. Mama, I never heard her be soft. <laughs> and so I got a good combination. I start off soft like this. <laughs> and then I help you. I help you. I realize I can't get away from them and I'm not trying to. But there are some things that I have to mitigate. I have to navigate around constantly because there were some weaknesses. And I recognize what those are. And I realize that if I give into it, if I am not diligent to live as an alien in this world, if I consider it so comfortable that I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a child of God. This ain't sin. Drink is not sin. It's not sin, Pastor. I can have a glass of wine or, or a rum and coke anytime I want. Well, yes, you can. I ain't mad at you. I wish I could. Really do. <laughs> I've heard it's tasty. But I know what my dad was. My dad was an alcoholic. When I was caring for my dad on his deathbed, I had to, had to go to, um, had, had to help him. And uh, he needed, he needed alcohol every day. He needed it. And <clears throat> Proverbs says that strong drink is for a dying man. That's a prohibition for people who aren't dying to imbibe, but it's also a reality, of, a statement of reality saying, when you're on your way out, it really doesn't matter much anymore. And my dad was an alcoholic, and <clears throat> um, I realized he was dying. 
And so I would be the designate to go to the, to the ABC store. And every week, I'd buy two-fifths of vodka. A couple of years, every week. And I was happy to give it to my father. It wasn't an issue of whether he was going to be detrimentally affected by the alcohol. It was how can I give him some degree of comfort in his last days. And I realize alcohol is not wrong. But that's how addicted my father was. He needed it. It would have made his passing more painful. So whether you want to call it an imbibed anesthesia, I don't care. But I don't repent for anything I did. He loved Jesus with all his heart. And I'll get to fellowship with him in glory. But I realize I don't want to go there. I might. If I start, I might. And if I might, I realize that there's some bent on the inside of me that I'm going to have to fight against in order to not. So I don't want to deal with that. I got too many other battles that are progressive and gaining if I win them. To try to fight against something that is only trying to take me backwards? There's no point in me giving my energy to that. So why in the world would I want to even try? That's why I don't drink. It has nothing to do with some kind of religious conviction that alcohol is really sinful. It's just practical in Brett's life. Now, there are some other things that I can exhort you about regarding the wisdom of when and how, but that's for another sermon. My point is I choose not to make full use of the world even though I probably have the restraint in my soul to say when it's necessary to stop. I live as an alien in that area. But when it comes to living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, generationally, I don't want my kids to inherit past. I want it to stop here. My kids will never get that. I have to think that way. I live that way because what I do today has great impact on my great-grandchildren. He lived with Isaac, and Isaac wasn't even born yet. And we as a congregation, we're doing what we can to try to make sure we transfer this congregation and our vision to the second generation. We're in year five of a seven-year plan, which means we've got about two, two and a half left. And God is doing some great things with our young people. That's why you see them up here all the time, because we're giving them opportunities to spread their wings and feel the burden of communicating at a high level. And it's not just what they do here for one or two minutes on stage. It's what they do behind the scenes on on Monday through Saturday that's most important. And we are placing responsibility because we are dwelling in tents with Stephen Law and Jared and Tellus Fuller and Garrison Fuller and Miata Jones and Shamika. We're dwelling in tents with them realizing they are going to be the inheritors of that which God is giving us. And it's not just this congregation. I have a passion to see this city helped. As much as I love you and there's no group of people I want to spend more time with in the body of Christ than you, I love my church. Many pastors can't stand their church. They go to church reluctantly and so do their families. I love you. You are are my heart's desire. But you don't wake me up in the morning. What gets me up every day is figuring out how I can help win this city. 
See it bow its knee. Now I know Brett nor us can do it by ourselves. We need the rest of the body of Christ. But I've got a, I've got a heart that's big enough. And I am trying to let our kids inherit that vision. I'm living in a land of promise called Washington, D.C., metropolitan area. And very few are asking my opinion about what should be done best. I'm not mad about it. There are very few things about which I don't have answers for. Very few. I keep my, my finger on the pulse of all the things that are going on in the world. And I have biblical answers that will work out better than most of the ones that are presented now. I do. And so relevancy has great impact in how I want to present whatever I present to the world without using chapter and verse. I just use truth. So I'm not confined just as a minister on a Sunday morning. I want to be somebody who can actually be salt and light in the world of corruption and darkness. So as much as I know that we, through me and you, through, and, and me through you can help be a, a help to the world, nobody's asking my opinion. And so I, I really feel like God's given a stewardship in this city, but we're living as aliens. We're people that everybody else thinks is, they're in charge, and we're the folks that are on the outside looking in. But I know what God has said. And I am training up a group of people that if in my generation we can't accomplish that which I know God wants to do for this city, there's a group of people behind me, Juno, Eddie Barnes, who can say, we got it. Abraham, we got it. You know, Abraham never got the land. He never got it. Jacob did. His kids did. There's a group of people coming up behind us that'll take it. But in order to, for that to happen, you got to live differently because whatever vision God gives you, generally speaking, is always too... Uh -huh, I'll say it this way. Whatever vision God gives you, it requires more than you're probably willing to sacrifice to see it, see it come to pass. And so what we do is we naturally kind of ratchet it back to what we feel comfortable with. And it winds up being much too small. And I'm begging you, think bigger. Think not only bigger about what God wants to do, but think generationally bigger. That you are living for more than just yours. You're living for your grandkids. You're living for your great-grandkids. And my hope is that you, as a disciple, will become a discipler and, and begin to minister to people beyond those who are called by your name. And lastly, it says that <clears throat> Abraham was looking for a city who had foundations and whose architect and builder was God. Houses have foundations. Cities don't. Nobody builds a foundation. You don't, you don't dig 20 square miles of earth up in order to build a city. So what in the world was Abraham looking for? when it says a city who had foundations. Well, if you're going to build something, you've always got to think about that upon which you're building. Or else, you might not be able to have something in which you live in that lasts. So you want to make sure that the foundation upon which you build is strong. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7 with the two guys that listened to the word. One obeyed, the other didn't. The one who didn't obey found he was in a storm 
And because he didn't build well, he built on sand. His house fell apart during the storm. The one who obeyed, built on rock, his house remained. You want to make sure you're building well. But most cities aren't built on foundations, except the one that God builds. See, the architecture is what the church is. The architecture are the rooms and the service areas. It's how the, 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 the facility is structured. That's what God builds. But the foundation is the thing upon which it's built. And what I'm convinced Abraham was looking for is you. He was looking for a welcoming party that represented something of the kingdom because he didn't think that God was calling him just to dirt. I imagine he thought God was calling him to a people. He was looking for a city. He was looking for somebody to welcome him and to embrace him. Remember, this was out of the chaos of the Tower of Babel where God came to confuse everybody's language and, and now people were separated by clans and they couldn't understand one another. And, and, and Abraham moved out of that to Haran and then down to the promised land. I imagine he, if, if, if he thought God was sending him, which God was, I imagine he was looking for, oh, there must be a people who are waiting to talk my language. And people with whom I can identify and do something for God on the earth. He didn't realize he was it. He thought he was going to greet somebody else. But he was it. And there are very few people who have Abrahamic kind of moments. Meaning God calls you to be the it. Church planters are those people. They are a crazy lot of folks. Wonderfully crazy. Because they start something that is the hardest thing in the world to do. They take a risk. They are my heroes. They get out there on the edge and they say, God, do it. We, we don't have all the resources we need for children's ministry. We don't have it for worship and song. We don't have it for ushers. We don't have it for parking lot attendants. We, we, we don't have it in it. But God, please make people like us anyway. Help us to win folks that will want to be a part of us and build something. They are amazing. And everybody they use is a volunteer. Folks in, in metropolitan Washington have to pay folks to come to work on time. They pay. And, and many times you don't show up on time. Pastors have more loyal volunteers than employers have employees. How do they do it? They believe. They believe. And it requires structuring and all kinds of amazing human, pe- human beings. But they are those that go out like Abraham to a, a vast wasteland and start something. But there are very few of those. Very few of those. Most people are looking for people because there are great churches around. And I'm begging you, if you're here today and, and you're looking just for a good sermon, I'm happy you're here because you're in the right direction. Maybe you were looking for a great moment in worship and song. I hope you got it. But I'm begging you to think differently. You ought to be looking for people who have a foundation. And the foundation upon which we build is the word of God. It's not Brett's preference. Believe me, if it were my preference, we would build very differently. Very differently. But God gave me a vision based on his word about how this thing ought to be constructed. And everything I find in my scripture, I am trying to be compliant with. 
we are built on the foundation of the word. And then from that, we build architecture. Abraham did not have a Bible because it hadn't been written yet. So he was looking for something out there where somebody could direct him on the best way to follow God. But nobody had anything down in print. He was it. We have this beautiful foundation of the word that helps us understand which way to go, what not to do. It's great. Marvelous. We're so happy. And then we build. And the beauty is this, as I close, that if you are coming just to get a good sermon to help you, I'm happy about it. If you're coming just to get the worship and song because you want to ascend to the presence of God, I'm happy about it. But I'm begging you, have something of Abraham on the inside of you that has you begin to think differently and bigger that you are now looking for a people who you can join, who have a foundation that allows you to, to realize when the storms come, they're still going to be here. Everything's going to be fine because they're always going to go back to the foundation. The house may not, it might be built on a tilt. I went down to Orlando. They got this upside down house built on a tilt. I think that's stupid. <laughs> it's a tourist attraction. It didn't attract me at all. Not at all. So why do I want to go into bad architecture? That only teaches me bad stuff. I don't want to do that. It might be, the rooms may not be as they should be. Everything might be a little bit off. But when it's off and you notice it, and it's not hard to notice our flaws, though you ought to be happy every day that you got one of the best church staffs on the planet. The people we got are excellent Christians. Wonderful Christians and amazing servants. One of the best church staffs on the planet. But we're human. We make mistakes. And when you realize that there are holes in our architecture, know this to be true, that when we find them or you make them known to us, a couple of things are going to happen. One, we're going to say, thank you. We're going to go back to the foundation of Scripture. And we're going to fix that because we have a foundation. Even though the architecture may not be right, we have a foundation that doesn't change. Secondly, I think you're supposed to be a part of the solution. So, I'm sorry that happened with your child and children's ministry. We didn't mean it. We ran out of goldfish. I get it. We're going to supply more goldfish next. I promise you'll be an extra box, and we're going to probably put his name right on it. But what we'd like is for you to help and go buy it. Could, could you do that for us? We'll give you the funds. We just need you to serve. And if you could help serve in children's ministry, that would be great too. See, it always gets quiet at this point. <laughs> What are you looking for? Are you just looking to get your needs met? Or are you looking to be a part of something? Abraham was looking for a city to be a part of. Help to make the environment that you enjoyed when you came and wanted to figure out who we were. Help to do that. And I realize, last statement, if, if you find that, that we're not you, we're just not your cup of tea. I get it. I really do. And... and we have our flaws. But I, you, you, you may be looking for perfect. The, the right church. Something here just turned you wrong. You realize, okay, we're not your church. And you're looking for the church that won't turn you wrong. I get it. I really do. But, but when you find that church that has no flaws, <laughs> that perfect church, I beg you, please don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. <laughs> you get my point? Bloom where you planted. 
Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace, please. And inspire us and help us to be the kind of people that walk by faith every day to see your will established.